You are listening to Inside the Tunnel, a Virginia Tech sports podcast presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. What's going on, everyone? We're back with another podcast. This week's a shorter week following the bye week. Duke on Friday. Right now we are connected with Doug. Doug joins us after just leaving a happy hour. Doug, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. How are you? Definitely doing well tonight and definitely enjoyed the bye week. Uh, Got to see a lot of football this past weekend and not worry about the stresses of covering Virginia Tech. So how was, how was your Saturday? Did you get to see a lot of college football? Uh, let's see. We watched a little bit during the day, and then we actually went to the NASCAR race here in Richmond at night. So um, I think we actually had a uh, – I think we'll get into this, but we actually had an Old Dominion graduate behind us at the NASCAR race that was feeding us some updates on the – on a certain game there on Saturday night. Yeah, I'm sure he's freaking out for a little bit. I remember I was I was kind of done watching football for the day, and then all of a sudden I saw it pop up on on my phone and just had to watch the rest of it. But let's let's jump into some of the games that that we watched during the day, and especially in the ACC Coastal. There was a bunch of really good games actually. Uh, I saw a little bit of everything, caught some highlights, but. Were there any you want to start on the Virginia game? What what stood out to you about that? Old Dominion almost pulling pulling the upset. Yeah, that was that was definitely probably the story of the at least the night um, there for a little bit as ODU was up seventy nothing and it seemed like seemed like they were gonna do the C U V A what they did to Virginia Tech uh just a year ago. But it, I mean just shows just goes to show you what with the ACC, especially the Coastal, is all about, or probably the entire ACC besides Clemson, in terms of, you know, nobody is the kind of complete team that can, you know, that is immune to having a bad half or a bad quarter or something like that. Um, you know, UVA's got a great defense and a good quarterback. And if you can shut down their offense, like Old Dominion did in the first half, and then kind of control the game with a, with a running game and not turning the ball over, you got a chance to beat them. And I think that goes just, that's probably the case with just about every team in the ACC except Clemson. I mean, Bryce Perkins is a great quarterback. They've got a good defense. There are going to be situations that UVA struggles, you know, just like the rest of the ACC. So I, was, I wasn't as surprised, you know, by that score line, at least through halftime. Um, because the ACC is such a such a crapshoot these days. What I knew of the ACC Coastal was just thrown out the window, just because it seems like every team is vulnerable. UNC lost to Appalachian State. I know they're the giant killers, so to speak. Yeah, a lot of these teams showed a lot of vulnerability, especially UVA. I think you know everyone's tabbing them as this ACC Coastal champion already, and credit to them for going 4-0 and fighting off the 17-0 deficit. Uh, but, you know, that's a scary game for Virginia, and it just showed that Bryce Perkins, especially late into that game, he was taking a lot of shots. He had to come out for a play at one point, looked like he was down for a long time and eventually got back up. But they have to find ways to keep him healthy because he's the complete key to that team. Another game that really caught my attention was – the Miami game because of the lack of all the action. They beat Central Michigan seventeen to twelve in a snooze fest. 
So I think their their offense is one of the worst in the ACC Coastal, just with that offensive line having so many problems and just their quarterback controversy. And then their defense is one of the best. So I don't know if you got to catch any of that game. I hope you didn't, but it, it showed a lot of weaknesses in, in Miami's armor. I think what Miami, that, that game in particular, just showed you is what youth can do for you, especially on the offensive line. Um, I think they're a little different than Virginia Tech at quarterback. With you know they have their own freshman quarterback, but they're really young up front, and they're kind of going through the same thing that Virginia Tech's going through. I mean, they were up seven to two against Central Michigan at halftime, only scored seventeen points in the entire game, and they're they're leaving Russia at thirty-four yards. So you know they had that that huge game against Florida to open the season where they looked. You know, I mean, it was an ugly game with a bunch of turnovers, but they looked like they could move the ball. But I think as you get into week after week, um, if you have a, an offensive line that struggles like that, that's so young, just like we saw with Virginia Tech, I mean, you just never know what you're going to get. 17-12 to 12 against Central Michigan um, at home is certainly not uh, – not what anybody thought Miami was going to be this year. I think everybody expected them to be kind of the front runner um, in the coastal, probably with UVA, but I think they're certainly coming up short so far. Yeah, and then I guess the last game was Pitt, the hero of the ACC Coastal. They beat former uh, undisputed national champion uh, UCF 35-34, to Cam Good. Uh, former Virginia Tech commit and actually enrolled in school. He was in the headlines for the wrong reasons. He knocked out Kenny Pickett briefly out of the game. But the one, at the very end of the game, Pitt struck back with the trick play and Pickett came back in the game and actually had a receiving touchdown to to win the game with 13 seconds left. So the one note I have on that game is that Kenny Pickett has more receiving touchdowns than Damon Hazleton this season. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a good statistic. Um, this was one of those weird games. Um, Pitt was up early, and then you know UCF won the second half, twenty-four to fourteen. I mean, they they dominated the second half, but Pitt was able to just right the ship enough um, there in the there in the fourth quarter basically to pull out a win i mean just a huge win for them um particularly after they their start to the season to knock off bcf who had i don't know what their win streak was at was it like 20 25 games in the regular season or something like that so big win for pat narduzzi and you know kenny pickett he talked about the that trick play they ran to give him the, the touchdown pass to win um but obviously pittsburgh Pittsburgh's a threat going forward. Yeah, I think they're the one team that improved their stock the most over the last week. I think UVA showed a little bit of of concern. Uh, UNC obviously losing to a non-Power 5 school in Appalachian State, and then Miami winning by five against Central Michigan at home. So definitely not the brightest of weeks for the ACC Coastal, but let's move on to some Virginia Tech storylines. There wasn't much over the bye week, obviously no game being played. They did have a press conference yesterday and kind of discussed health statuses of a few players. Jerry Kill finally came up to the podium and discussed what he saw. But I want to jump in right away. The biggest storyline perhaps 
is Damon Hazleton. Now, we haven't seen him all season long. We did see him warming up against Boston College. As it turns out, you know, he was dealing with some injuries in the preseason, looked to be healthy for the Boston College game, but then after that, maybe during practice, re-injured his hamstring. Haven't seen him dressed for games since that since the Boston College game. So uh, they were Fuente was talking about him and and kind of has to watch his words because he seemed fairly optimistic he would play against Old Dominion. That didn't happen, obviously. It doesn't seem like he's going to suit up. So this situation is just very weird um, because fans are obviously questioning what's going on. Is it Fuente? Is it Damon? But it just seems like there's uh, an injury issue. I don't know if you have any more to add on that. Yeah, um, hamstrings are notoriously difficult to get rid of um they can obviously creep back up especially at the wide receiver position anytime you take off on a rally you could you could come up lame with a full hammy again uh, obviously Virginia Tech would love to have him back he's a huge huge threat at receiver and if you compare him with with Trey Turner and then what Tavion Robinson has done inside and had in Hezekiah Grimsley that's the kind of receiving core that you kind of thought Virginia Tech would have at the beginning of the season. So, you know, it would be huge to get him back as a essentially, and, you know, he was the number one receiver for most of the year last year. So if you get him back with Turner, I think you got two number one receivers and that completely changes um, what the, what, what opposing defenses are planning for. Um, so his health, you know, as we go into Duke and Miami and the rest of ACC plays, huge, I think, I think, Sitting out ODU and Furman is fine um, if he if he felt that his hamstring was still still giving him issues or if he re-aggravated it before Old Dominion or something like that. I mean, those are two games that Virginia Tech <laughs> they struggled to get through, but they got through them. And I don't think I don't think anybody would be happy if Hazleton was out there running against Furman and you know, pulled up lame with a hamstring and missed the next three or four weeks. So just getting him back 100% is, is probably the priority right now, whether it happens this week or next week or um, even going forward. Um, I think that's, that's one of the big stories I think, for the offense the rest of the year. Yeah, and we'll see. I don't think we'll see him against Duke, unfortunately. Uh, but one rumor I do want to dispel is that he's sitting out for NFL reasons, kind of protecting himself. All I got to say to that is, if he's a fringe NFL prospect, okay. Um, but it's not in his best interest to be sitting out right now. I'm sure if he were healthy, he'd be playing. So saw a lot of chatter about that. It's just not the case at all. Um, some good news, though, is that uh, Taiwan Garbutt seems to be eyeing a return against Duke. Uh, Bud Foster was speaking at the weekly press conference, said that he anticipates that Garbutt will be available. So Obviously, a big, big addition to the defensive line, one that has been playing solidly. Granted, it's against Furman and Old Dominion, but he's a guy that was projected to be a starter and is, I guess, considered the top overall pass rushing presence. So, you know, him coming back is definitely a huge plus. Yeah, he's the, he's the clear number one defensive end. Anytime you can get a starter... Um, like that back is huge. I mean, you go from 
you go from splitting time with Eli Adams and Davian Beckton and and, and Jalen Griffin at that defensive end spot, you know, you're you're splitting up twenty snaps a pop there. Um, maybe Eli Adams was playing a little bit more there at the end, but those guys aren't ready to play as retro freshmen that that much. Um, Taiwan Garbage is the guy that's supposed to be the number one defensive end, and if you can you can slide him back into the number one defensive end, and then and then play Adams or Beckton or Griffin um, in a more backup role where they're playing, you know, only you know a series here and a series there. Those that, that's the role that they're more ready for. So that'll be that would be a big boost if, if Garbage can come back healthy and and ready to roll. Um, I think it's. I think it might be difficult to come back after after that shoddy look against Boston College if he hasn't been doing much um, to to really pick up where he was supposed to where he where he was trying to get the season going against Boston College. But um, I think we'll see this week if he can if he can come back. I think this is a a huge game to come back to. Got a good offense and certainly having having an edge rush from a defensive end is something Virginia Tech hasn't had this year even against. Um, the ODUs and the Furman that they played. Yeah, and we'll definitely talk about it when we're previewing Duke, but to have a guy that's perhaps the most athletic of all the defensive ends, especially when you have to play contain against a dual-threat quarterback, a mobile quarterback, he'll definitely be a huge plus. Speaking of huge pluses, and I don't know why I necessarily have to address this, but Keyshawn King, 100% healthy. He confirmed that himself amid also talking about his interest in in dirt bike riding so that was interesting but i i watched that play a few times when he was near the goal line and kind of got rolled up on it looked like his season was going to be done after that but somehow some way he's 100 percent healthy <laughs> yeah that that play did not look good um in terms of just everybody's fears i mean every, we've been talking about it week after week and so far this season he's so young and so Splendor. I mean, he's 180 pounds, 18 years old. You just can he can he hold up over the course of a season? Um, and there was primary example number one getting spun around. It looked like it, it looked like it could have been a lot worse there. So it's great to hear that he's that he's back to 100. percent I think this is this is one of the game, games that if he's 100, percent I think Virginia Tech has to let him lose. Um, they can manage his workload going forward with Rhode Island coming up in two weeks, two or three weeks, a bye week coming up two weeks after that. Um, I don't think there's should be much concern about giving him 20, 20 touches um, here against Duke. If he's the best running back on the roster, it's ACC play. Virginia Tech needs a win in the conference in the worst way. Um, you got to go with your your best players, and if that means giving him the ball twenty times, I think they have to do it. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. It's also a relief. I know he came in after that play when he got rolled up on, but then once again left. But it, it's definitely a relief because if you think about the running back room without him at this point, you already lost Jalen Holston. You would lose Keyshawn King. You're left with Deshaun McLeese and Caleb Stewart. It doesn't look very bright for for that group. Um, but luckily, you know, full health will certainly see a big workload against Duke if Virginia Tech wants to win that game. The last storyline of, I guess, the off week 
was Jerry Kale. He finally got to speak to the media. Lucky for him. Um, but I thought it was interesting that of his many points, his biggest overall concern uh, with evaluating Virginia Tech just a few weeks into the job, it was the offensive line. And I know we've talked a lot about it, but it is an intriguing conversation to keep track of throughout the season. Uh, he mentioned that you need to lock down five guys, that there's been so much attrition or changing of positions on the offensive line. So I don't necessarily know what the status is with a lot of the offensive linemen that were injured, TJ Jackson. I believe that Zachariah Hoyt was practicing this week, so I'm pretty 50-50 on him coming back. But I don't know if there there will be a, a change with Doug Nestor at right guard. But I just wanted to see your thoughts on, on the current state of affairs on the offensive line. I mean, that's the, the big question when our ACC plays, just how the offensive line is going to hold up. Um, I don't think anybody disagrees with Jerry Till that they need to they need to get the five, five going week after week here. Certainly the last two games, Luke Snuda has taken over for Silas Danzi at right tackle in the second half. I don't see that con- that rotation continuing. I think, I think Tunuda, if he's going to start, if he's going to have to take over two games in a row at right tackle against permanent ODU, you have to get one of the starting jobs um, entering ACC play. So I think he's the right tackle. It'll be interesting to see what they think about moving Danzi inside to right guard or if Doug Nestor needs to continue out there. Um, I, I still think they just need to get more experience up front and get, get older um, in any way they can. Obviously, Tenuta's been there a year, but, but he's still brand new. Um, Nestor's a true freshman, so whether you bring back TJ Jackson if he's healthy, who's been around, or, or Danzi, obviously, in a second year as a starter. Um, and then getting, he mentioned Zachariah Hoyt back at center. It, getting him back is pretty similar to getting a guy like Hazelton back or Garbit back as a, as a projected starter. Um, when you can go from a guy like Brian Hudson, who wasn't expected to play this year, he's probably the fourth center. He's a true freshman. Um, he should be redshirting. When you go from him and ACC play to a guy like Hoyt, who maybe he struggled at times during his career, but obviously he was good enough to start and play week after week. Um, I think that's a big boost. So, you know, I think the left side is fine. It's going to continue with, with Smith and Darius all over there. They can get Hoyt back at center and then maybe you stick to Nuda at right tackle and Danzi inside at right guard. Or maybe you just stick with Nestor after after two games and in a bye week. Um, but I think you're going to see the positions kind of settle here, at least as we go into the next two games. Um, obviously, that Rhode Island game going up in two weeks is, is kind of like a bye week or an experimentation week where, where maybe if you're not happy after the next, these next two weeks, you, you can have an opportunity to flip things again. But... I'll be interested to see for sure what they what they roll out um, in the first series on Friday night. Now I want to shift our attention to Duke. Duke is on Friday night, only a few days away. A rare Friday night weekday game. Uh, but Duke is a 2-1 team. They lost their opener to Alabama, 42-3. They then won against 
NC A&T 45-13, and two weeks ago uh, beat Middle Tennessee State 41-18. to Like Virginia Tech, they just are coming off a bye and will look to upset the Hokies at home. Virginia Tech is currently a three-point favorite. I think they opened at eight or something. So it's it's dwindling down fast. But let's jump into the offense because I find this interesting that a few weeks ago we were talking about all these teams and how we won't see the triple option anymore. And then I'm looking at Furman. They have a multiple offense. They run a little bit of triple option. And now I'm looking at Duke, and they run a little bit of triple option too. So what are your impressions of this Duke offense? Yeah, they uh, it was kind of like Paul Johnson's retiring, and we thought we were all getting away from it. Um, and then <laughs> then it came back to bite us. Uh, you know, Duke, I mean, anytime you talk about it, David Cutcliffe, you know, you're going to say they're, they're well coached and they got a good quarterback. Um, and that's no, that's no different. This year, uh, Quentin Harris is their senior quarterback. I think any anybody who's stuck around and been coached by David Cutcliffe um, for for four or five years is really going to have a handle on on their offense, and that that's exactly the case. I mean, Harris isn't going to turn the ball over. He's thrown eight touchdowns and two picks this year, um, and those were against Alabama, who's probably going <laughs> to terrorize just about every quarterback they face. So they're they're kind of like Furman in that they're gonna they're gonna run a little triple option, but they're also gonna run a little spread. They're gonna play four or five wide um, and spread the ball around. So I think there's a there's a little bit of reason for concern in terms of the Virginia Tech defense. You know, being able to tackle is probably the biggest concern. And two is going to get rid of the ball very quickly and get it in the hands of their wide receivers. Um, guys like Javon Calhoun is a freshman, kind of in their Tavion Robinson type role. Um, Scott Brady, he's a guy that they're going to send down down the field. They, they they basically get the ball in the hands of their wide receivers, and then it's one-on-one tackling. So that's the biggest concern um, in terms of stopping the, the, the Duke offense. And then they're going to make them this triple option stuff where if they get ahead in this game, they're just going to run the clock with and just run triple option and, and just frustrate the Virginia Tech defense. So, and fans. <laughs> yeah, it's not um, anybody who sat in the stands at Lane Stadium for a Georgia Tech game in the last 10 years knows what that's like just seeing teams run triple option over and over again. So I think there's, given how varied they are, their ability to get the ball out of the hands quickly. You know, you're not going to get much pressure on the guy who's holding the ball for for two seconds or one second and getting it out of there. So I think offensively, you get somebody who's, who's going to be a tough matchup for Virginia Tech defense. I want to dive more into Quinton Harris. He's the quarterback, dual threat quarterback for Duke. He's leading the ACC right now in terms of quarterback rating. It's tough to get a gauge on him because – In his first game against Alabama, and like most quarterbacks would look, he didn't look good. And he threw two interceptions, had 13 rushing yards, and only 97 passing yards. But then when the competition kind of lowers a little bit against North Carolina A&T and Middle Tennessee State, he has back-to-back four touchdown games, has crazy high outputs in total yardage. 
are, are you more concerned with him being a mobile quarterback able to run read options in the triple option and kind of use his legs against this Bud Foster defense or him as a passer is scarier to the Virginia Tech defense? I think I think the way they run their offense is, I mean, a lot of his stats are are indicative of how they run their offense. He's a, he's a 72% passer. You know, he's not throwing the ball downfield every time and completing 17, 72% of his passes. A lot of his a lot of completions are on these simple, quick um, crossing routes over the middle and things of five wide and four wide sets that they're simple throws, and that's just a huge part of the a huge part of their offense. So um, he will throw the ball down the field. A lot of the, a lot of it's going to be all play action that they run out of a four wide receiver set with a running back right next to him, but. Um, through the air, I mean, I think they're going to spread Virginia Tech out and and let their receivers, you know, make a play one on one and then get the ball as soon as they can. So through the air, that's what's concerning. But then, I think you touched on it: his ability on the ground um, and quarterback draws and read options um, just adds another layer. If you are lucky enough to get pressure on him, he he evasive enough to get out of it and, and extend plays and pick up positive yards. So um, I know I know he struggled against Alabama and then he plays Middle Tennessee State and in the A and T, which is I mean, you could look at you could look at those two games like we look at, you know, Old Dominion and Furman. You know, you gotta look at through through the eyes at the end of the day with Furman. You gotta look at these last two Duke games. You know, at the end of the day, it was NCA and T, and it was Middle Tennessee. But um, I think as a senior, I think they are confident and they and they know their offense. I think they're going to execute it at a high level. So I think Harris is a really good quarterback who's going who's gonna, to um, pose some issues for Virginia Tech. For both those points, I am a little concerned with how blitz happy Bud Foster is, just breaking containment on the edge and seeing. Quinton Harris running for long yardage. Um, on the on the flip side, when he's passing the ball, the one thing I noticed, uh, uh, Jake Bobo, who is projected to be one of their starting receivers, looks like he has a decent shot at returning for this game. He hasn't played all year. Uh, they're really tall. I mean, he's 6'4". Noah Gray, their tight end, he's 6'4". Aaron Young, the redshirt senior wide receiver, is 6'4". So it's going to be... It's going to be a tough test for uh, Waller and Farley, but yeah, I mean, it's a solid offense and it's a David Cutcliffe offense. They look really dynamic, so it's definitely going to be the biggest test, I believe, all season from all the opponents we've seen um, to see how legitimate that this Virginia Tech defense is. Yeah, I think you touched on the, the Bud Foster blitzing question, and I mean, I look, I watched the first two games against. Alabama and, and uh, NCA and you see, and I saw how quick they got rid of the ball. And I don't know whether it's worth sending, you know, a fifth or sixth blitzer in there if all it is is going to be to watch Quentin Harris get rid of the ball before they even have a chance. So I think it'll be a really interesting chess match between Cutcliffe and Foster in terms of how you get pressure on them, how you how you contain them. You talked about keeping them keeping them bottled up. I mean, 
Taiwan Garbage might come back and might be, you know, you expect to get a big boost in terms of just flipping the just rushing the quarterback from defensive end, but maybe his biggest impact is just keeping him contained. Um, and then I think you hit the nail on the head with the receivers and Noah Gray and Jake Bobo, those guys. It's going to be a, a challenging day in the secondary in terms of Texas going to have to line up and make plays and then get them on the ground once they catch it. So I think a guy like Jamari Connor is going to be going you know, to find himself matched up on maybe a Bobo in 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 the inside or or Noah Gray even coming over the middle. Um, he leads the team and he leads their team in, in receptions with 16. So obviously he's going to get a couple opportunities um so we'll see how i'll be i'll be interesting to see how virginia tech defensive back um waller farley honor edgy floyd and divine diablo match up and, and handle i think the kind of stress they're going to be put under and far as far as as far as matching up with these guys and getting them on the ground now yeah, the last thing I want to key in on the Duke offense is the players to watch out for. Mine personally is Deion Jackson, their running back. He's an all-purpose ball carrier. He can do it in the passing game. He can also do it uh, running the ball. However, he only has 179 rushing yards this year, 3.9 yards per carry with one touchdown. I think he was projected to be a second-team all-purpose player. So we'll see. I, I know they haven't been throwing a ton to their running backs, but that's one way that Virginia Tech seems to fold to opposing offenses. I wonder if they're going to target him a lot in the passing attack. Uh, I know that their backup, Britton Brown, might be hurt for this game and may not play. So we'll see. It seems heavily that the running game will be dependent on Quentin Harris and Deion Jackson, but you know, any singular player stand out to you as, you know, must stop this guy in order for Virginia Tech to win? For sure. I think if they get a running game going with Harris and Jackson, I don't think Virginia Tech can stop Duke. If you're going to if you're gonna start with an effective running game that picks up yardage and then add in the passing game that starts throw on top, I think it'll be really interesting. You mentioned... Jackson and the back of Britain, who might be out. He looked really good against Alabama, but um, obviously he's banged up. And I think they have another back of Mateo Durant, who is a threat out of the backfield. So when you talk about a guy like Zach Collisfield, who struggled last year against against guys out of the backfield and then struggled against ODU, I think I think if, if Virginia Tech defensive backs are worried about defending the receivers and the tight ends, and then you got to put Hollyfield on there defending guys coming out of the backfield. Um, we'll see how he handles that that pressure, and and if maybe Duke just has too many too many options in the passing game to keep track of them all. I do want to flip things over to the defensive side of the ball for Duke. They're a solid unit. They seem similar to Tech. They seem to be a four-two-five type of defense with five defensive backs. Uh, what are your general impressions of this Duke defense? They're a fast, aggressive, athletic group. I think particularly in the front seven, they got a middle linebacker named Kobe Kwanzaa, um, and he's flanked at linebacker by Brandon Hill and Shaka Hayward. Both are guys um, that 
that split time there at that other that the second linebacker there. But they're rangy and they're gonna run sideline to sideline. Um watching them in that first quarter against against Alabama was, was impressive. Um and then up front they got they got a host of defensive linemen that are that are gonna that are gonna be issues. Um Derek Tangelo, the defensive back, was pretty good. Eric Sarah Nord, I think is how you say it, just the guy that got kicked out of the Alabama game for for stepping on a guy. Um he's back. The guy defensive tackle that stood out against Alabama was this guy Trevon McSwain, who's like a six foot six, three hundred pound pitcher freshman in defensive tackle. So um, he's got three and a half tackles for loss already this year. So they're they're strong up front defensive end Victor I'm gonna butcher this I think. <laughs> Tamuka Jay. Um he was a former Virginia Tech recruiting target. Oh yeah. Um, probably would be starting for Virginia Tech right now if he was in Blacksburg. But I mean, their their front seven is what has impressed me the most in terms of their ability to make plays and be aggressive and really throw athletes out on the field. You don't think of Duke as a very um, athletic group of football players based on their you know program history, but this defense, um, particularly their linebacker and on defensive line, I think they're really strong. Yeah, I think in each one of our podcasts where we've mentioned Duke, I think the first thing that I normally mention about Duke is how underrated their defensive line is. I mean, they looked good against Alabama, and they've been generating pressure. They have nine sacks on the year. I think Kobe Kwanzaa is you know, proving to be an all-ACC caliber type of guy. Dylan Singleton in the back end as a safety is another guy that leads them in tackles. Really, really solid guy. Um, but when watching them, I've n- noticed that they seem vulnerable in the back end. I don't know if you concur with that sentiment, but the way that I see that Virginia Tech really has to attack this defense is through the air that really put all your chips on Ryan Willis to make enough plays. And I know, you know, that sounds tough with the performances he's shown already. And, and I guess the inability to make those big plays this season and really turn over the ball. But where do you see the biggest weakness of this Duke defense? It's definitely, as you said, through the air and the defensive secondary. Um, they're going to play, you said, a 4 2 5. They're going to play three safeties. Um, their best one is probably Dylan Singleton, but I think he's probably best coming up and, and stopping the run. So, I mean, we've said this the last three weeks that. Virginia Tech's advantage on offense is going to be through the air with their wide receivers. And, you know, 30, what was it, 31 against Old Dominion and 24 against Furman. They they haven't really dominated the game through the air, and I think that's part of what we were talking about with Damon Hazleton and how important getting him back. But I definitely think um, in terms of having success offensively, getting the ball to Trey Turner, getting the ball to Fabian Robinson, getting the ball to Hezekiah Grimsley. That's given how athletic and, and talented they are in that front seven. That's going to be the key in, in this game. And I mean, really it comes down like we were talking about earlier to the offensive line. And if, if Ryan Willis can have enough time to where he can make throws consistently that, that, that can beat Duke down the field. Because I think Duke will, will live with 
if they give pressure on Willis and he just dumps it short to a Robinson or and picks up a couple yards. But where where Virginia Tech can really hurt Duke is going to be down the field with guys like Turner, if Hazelton goes back, if Robinson can get downfield, those kind of things. Yeah, I do want to move into predictions now for this game. I've been dreading this moment because I really don't know which way that I'm leaning with this one. I thought through talking with you about both their offense and defense that I would come to a clear picture, but I'm pretty torn right now. So, But I know you were one of the first to submit your predictions. So where do you see this game ending up? What are your keys to the game? I think Virginia Tech's defense is going to struggle. I just I think this offense, this big offense, is led by an experienced quarterback who's not going to turn the ball over, and they're gonna they're gonna they have kind of that spread option and that that triple option op, option, <laughs> for lack of a better word, that you know that worried people against Furman, and we were talking against Furman. Most everyone expected Furman to score 20, 25 points, uh, um, and now you're basically taking Furman. And you're putting them with an FBS roster and experienced senior quarterback and um, a better a better head coach. All of that, so I think I think it's going to be difficult for Virginia Tech's defense to get enough stops to to win this game. Quite frankly, I think I think in the 30s is where Duke is going to be um, in terms of throwing their ability to throw the ball, run the ball with Deion Jackson, and then run the ball with Quentin Harris if all else break down um so i think that's going to be for a defense for virginia tech defense that is young and has struggled over the last year and can change to tackle consistently i think that's going to be the biggest weakness here is when duke is rolling and throwing those quick passes and and really in rhythm on offense i don't i i'm not sure they're going to be able to tackle consistently to keep them out of the, the end zone so i think that's that's the key of the game is whether Virginia Tech's defense. Even if even if Quentin Harris is completing you know three, four, or five yard pass to can Virginia Tech get those receivers on the ground right there as opposed to having them pick up more yardage, picking up first down, things like that. So I'm skeptical of whether that can happen. Maybe Bud Foster's defense can throw up a classic Bud Foster game and on a Friday night in Lane Stadium that can that can help out and they can limit them a little bit, but Looking at them um, and how they've played, even against Alabama when they lost, was it forty-two to three or something? Looking how they played, I think I think they'll be ready to come in. And I've actually got them beating Virginia Tech right now. That's a change from just last week on this podcast. But just watching them play, I was really impressed offensively, and I'm not sure Virginia Tech's defense is ready yet to, to completely shut someone down. Yeah, I remember saying last week. But uh, I believe that Duke would win this game. If you guys listen to that hour and 40 long, amazing podcast last week, then thank you so much if you got to that part. Um, but in terms of what I think will happen a week later, I, I think both my major concerns and where I need to see improvement from really both lie on on the offense. I know you touched on the defense being, you know, the most questionable part, and I agree with a lot of your sentiments, but I think that the offensive line going against that athletic front, will they be able to keep Ryan Willis healthy and and stay, you know, in the pocket throughout the game comfortable and, and be able to read the offense and make it 
run up to standards. We saw last year when they beat Duke that that was one of his best games, if not his best game as a Virginia Tech quarterback. So I think that after two weeks ago when he took a beating against Furman, and I know there were rumors flying around on the interwebs about his shoulder and his ankle, his shoulder's fine. I know that he was in a walking boot, but he should be fully healthy. Expect him to play uh, against Duke. But, you know, just seeing him comfortable and, and really going through his progressions. And that's really my second point right there. You know, he first needs the offensive line to protect him against a really good defensive front seven in Duke. And then two is making the right decisions and not turning over the football. Obviously, the number one key to any game is usually the turnovers. And Virginia Tech has been horrid in that department. They're worse than all of college football, giving up the football, fumbling it, and throwing interceptions. So if Ryan Willis can take care of the football, go through his reads and not get hit and pressured and forced to run around a lot on maybe not a 100% ankle, uh, I think Virginia Tech will be fine against this Duke defense. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, defensively, you know, can they – contend with these perimeter guys that are super lanky and athletic and then stopping the running quarterback. Like you said earlier, it's going to be a chess match. If Bud Foster sends a blitz, you know, what will Cutcliffe do? What play will he call? So it's going to be interesting. I think there'll be big plays on both sides. I really do think it's such a 50-50 game. And it's interesting because I think I view Duke higher than a lot of other teams in the ACC Coastal. I just They don't make a lot of mistakes. They're not incredible in any given category. They're just very solid in every single aspect of playing football, Which and that always makes them scary. So I think definitely turnovers will be a, a major storyline, as they always are, but especially in this game and playing at home. And then two, Ryan Willis's ability to really read the defense. And I know they mix up coverages very well. So uh, it's going to be a tough night for him, but he handled it well last year. This is a team that he saw last year and played against last year. So we'll see if, if he sees any familiarity in their schemes, if he's able to read them better because of that. Um, and, and definitely coming off a of bye week, if he has more confidence in the guys around him. Yeah, I think. Like in terms of what this game is going to be, if if we're talking about both offenses being effective, you're going to get up into the the high twenties, into the thirties in terms of points for both squads. So, which offense do you do you trust to not turn the ball over, to not shoot themselves in the foot, to not get stopped? You know, on the on the key on the key drive of the game in the second half. I think looking at both teams, especially how Virginia Tech has played in the first three weeks, I don't, don't see any any reason that you could count that you would say Virginia Tech is going to be that team, um, from Willis's interceptions to the fumbles to the offensive line struggles. You know, I just don't see Duke's offense in the second half. If things are tight and it's been back and forth and a little bit of a shootout, you know, do you trust the guy like Quentin Harris who's been pretty good this year and as a senior quarterback and all that stuff again or do you trust ryan willis who through turned the ball over four times against Boston college and threw for 123 yards against Furman? you know i kind of lean with duke there in terms of if if we're if we're going back and forth each possession 
who's going to blink first. In, in terms of predictions, because I know I haven't given one yet, and I guess I'll kind of be pandering to the Virginia Tech crowd here, I can honestly see Virginia Tech proving me wrong and, and showing you know, the, the more consistency after a bye week and really going through uh, the basics, the fundamentals of the offense and kind of taking a deep breath and getting healthy. And, you know, if enough guys come back, certainly I can see Virginia Tech winning this game. On the contrary, I just I, I certainly trust Duke's offense more at this point in time. I think they've proved it. Sure, they lost against Alabama as almost any other team would. You know, I don't know exactly what to expect out of this Duke team just because they've played really good, possibly the best competition they could in week one, and then, you know, pretty subpar competition two weeks in a row after that. So I I think somewhere in the middle, Duke will show up, and I think that's good enough to pull off the upset in Lane Stadium on Friday night. So I think it's going to be a 34-31 Duke victory. But I can, I mean, I can be easily convinced that Virginia Tech will win with that same scoreline. So I'm just very torn. I think this is the biggest 50-50 game of the year, uh, just because you never know. I know last year I really wanted to go with Duke, and look how that one turned out. So uh, just giving my opinion here. But that's all the time we have for tonight. We'll see if Virginia Tech can prove both Doug and I wrong. But, Doug, thank you so much for leaving happy hour and joining us on this fine Tuesday evening. I, I appreciate you hanging in there with me as I, as I had to wind down happy hour there here in, here in Richmond, Virginia. Hey, guys, it's Matei once again here to cap off the end of this episode. I promise I'll keep it short, but to continue on with Matei's takes, I'll give you a couple players to watch out for just ahead of the Duke game. The first player I got is Trey Turner. I think this is a very important game for him. Doug and I talked a lot about how the offensive line really needs to step up and keep Ryan Willis safe and secure in the pocket. I think if he has enough time, there's no reason that Trey Turner shouldn't have one of those pop-off games on Friday night in Lane Stadium. These are the type of games that he makes his biggest impact. He has 12 catches, 138 yards, and a touchdown receiving on the year, and six rushes for 75 yards and a touchdown. I think he's going to be used in both aspects, the pass catching and running the football on end arounds with Virginia Tech's limited supply of running backs. I think it will be a threat for the Virginia Tech offense to kind of go with that perimeter play, bring Trey Turner around on an end around, see if he can get some positive yards. He's averaging 12 yards per carry, so we'll see if he can make a big play in that regard. As far as one-on-one coverage or if he's double teamed, it will open up routes for other guys, but it needs to be the Trey Turner show. And I think that if Ryan Willis has enough time for Turner to develop his routes, to get deep down the field, to make those deep slants across the middle, that he should have a really big game. On the defensive side of the ball, I think this is a big, big, big test for Chamari Connor. I think he's going against a very solid tight end in Noah Gray, the six foot four, 240-pound tight end out of Duke. He's going to need to be covering him. He's averaged five catches per game. He's a pretty consistent option for Quinn Harris in the Duke offense. I think Chamari Connor is going to have to be sure-handed in his tackling. But I also think that 
Bud Foster will be sending him up a lot on blitzes, try to get Quinn Harris off guard, rolling out of the pocket on passing plays. But the last aspect of his game, and I know it's requiring a lot for a first-year starter, is containment. I think when we've seen rotation, whether it's defensive linemen or at that nickel position, the containment has been breached multiple times this season, which has allowed big plays for the opposition. I think the one constant of this defense has to be keeping Quentin Harris in that pocket. You cannot let him escape, extend plays, go outside and throw it down the field or use his legs to get a first down. I think that's going to be way too crippling for the defense. And I think Chamari Connor is going to play a major role in that. So we'll see what happens. I do have high hopes for Virginia Tech to keep this game close. I think that Duke is a really solid team in their own regard. I think they're always well coached. We always talk about Coach David Cutcliffe. He's really good at what he does. I mean, look at Daniel Jones now. He's a superstar in the NFL for the Giants. So Quinton Harris definitely taking a couple pages from Daniel Jones and the Duke offense and running it to its optimal performance. But we'll see. I think that Virginia Tech definitely has enough tools to make this game interesting. They should win this game at home. I think the three-point spread is very fair to both teams, and we'll see what happens. I mean, right now it seems like it's going to be a coin flip and really turnovers, Ryan Willis, and how well that defense can cover those tall athletic receivers will determine the outcome of this game. But anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. Tried to keep this one a little shorter and not over an hour. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you after the Duke game next week.